0: Well good morning, thank you worship team. Someone brought me these this morning. There's two people in my life that whenever it's my turn to preach, they say text me and let me know you're in your preaching so I'll be there to listen. And I said well hey, like this last week, I said hey, I'm preaching this week. If you wanna be there, you're welcome to. I always appreciate your support. Just be prepared, there might be some flying produce and that sort of thing. I said, what kind of produce? Just garden varietal stuff, rotten tomatoes, carrots, that sort of thing. She says, okay, I got your back. And so she brought me these this morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull these out just in case I need them. But who needs enemies when you got friends like that, right? All right, this morning I want to share with you a poem. That should scare you. I don't know very many poems. I don't know very many poets, but since I like this one, This is from one of my favorite poets, one of my favorite all-time poems. Uh, And then I wanna do a little verse-by-verse Bible study of Genesis chapter 11, 31 and 32. just two verses there at the end of Genesis 11 and then all of chapter 12. And I wanna use that to then ask a question at the very end. So that's kinda where we're going. And so let's just go ahead and let's not waste any time. I wanna be like Marty this morning and just get in the pulpit and go. And uh, so let's go ahead and play this poem. But in addition to the poem, I want you to listen especially to the comments he gives before he starts reading the poem. This is Billy Collins. He's amazing. He's dry. I really like him. Uh, But especially those introductory comments. Billy Collins. I guess I know what you're going to send to your mother on Mother's Day. They don't ask me to preach on Mother's Day, so I just had to use that illustration today. I I remember making lanyards does anybody else remember making a lanyard especially the plastic variety it's like a puffy low density plastic of some variety that you only use in arts and craft time at church or camp or something i remember making them but i remember calling them boondoggles do you remember boondoggles is that a word that you're familiar with Uh, i looked it up and it said the definition of a boondoggle is a cord of braided leather fabric or plastic strips made by a child as a project to keep busy I had no idea, that's what, the, that's what we were doing. I thought we were trying to bless our parents and the whole time they were just trying to keep us busy. I don't remember giving the boondoggle to my mother and father, although I'm sure they appreciated it immensely. I mean, how could you not? But I do remember fourth grade, Bryson Elementary, it was in December and I went to school with $5 to spend at Santa's Secret Shop which was created by using three, you're nodding, you had one of these, three eight-foot white tables in the library, and upon it were spread out marvelous treasures from all over the world. And I brought my $5, and I saw a variety of high-quality items that I could get from my parents <laughs> or my f- sisters, and, I, and I, there's bouncy balls, and there's a, a snow globe made of the most high quality plastic you've ever seen, and and some slap bracelets, and all that, I had started adding up the inventory, I said, I gotta have that, Mm, that's gonna go, yes, uh, no, no, that's not quality enough, that, yes, and then all of it faded because I looked to the right, the very far right of the table, and it must have been a mistake. There was a gold necklace, and next to it was the label Diamond Dust Necklace. Now I know some of you are thinking, oh, it's probably just a cheap fake gold necklace. Did you see it? Okay, you, you can show it. But no, it was a gold necklace and that diamond dust, you might say that's glitter. No, it wasn't, it said diamond dust. I don't know how it got to Santa's secret shop at Bryson Elementary in Saginaw, Texas, but somehow this slipped through and there it was and it only cost three or $5. Most of what I had, but the slap bracelets and the jacks and the little globe, it had to stay. I had to get that for my mother and I did. I spent my money, all of it for my mother and I brought it home. And I don't remember giving the lanyard or the boondoggle. But I remember this. I remember taking it to my mother at the appropriate time and I presented it to her and she loved it and she saw the value, the immense value that it it was and she loved it and cherished it and and I think she even wore it. (laughs) And I called her this week and I said, Mom, I'm working on this message and do you remember in the fourth grade I went to Santa's secret shop and I brought... The necklace? She interrupted me. The (laughs) necklace? Yes. She said, the diamond dust necklace? How could you forget? Do you still, I've still got it, honey. So my mother is in the balcony wearing her gold diamond dust (laughs) necklace. Pretty sure it came from Persia, from Phoenicia or something originally, and she's wearing it and it's so special. Billy Collins, who wrote lots of great poems, he wrote this one, The Lanyard, and I liked what he said at the beginning. He He sometimes poets will use a little image or a little idea to project you into considering something much larger. And that's what I wanna do today. I wanna take a very historical, geographical, logistical passage at the very end of chapter 11 and all of chapter 12. It's Abram and it's his journey when God calls him out of Ur to Canaan. And Canaan's the promised land. You also see the word Negev in there. His journey from, Canaan, or from, from Ur all the way to Canaan and then he makes a detour and then he comes back. I wanna use that little moment in time to project us into a larger question that I'm gonna ask you at the very end. So it's a Bible study today. We're gonna go verse by verse and occasionally I'm gonna stop and I'm just gonna say, hey, here's a lanyard moment. This is a little something that Abram was going through. This might apply to you in this way. And I'll do a few of those but then ultimately I'm leading to a point at the very end that I want you to uh, have prepared your hearts by then and I want you to consider the question and I want you to, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and I want you to respond to the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going. A little vague on the backside, that's okay. But we're gonna start here in verse 31 of chapter 11. So here we go. And what I'll do is I'll stop periodically after each of the legs of the journey and there's a, there's a few of them. And I'll stop and give some thoughts and then we'll keep on going. So if you're there, the very last two verses in chapter 11. It says, "Tara." took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So I wanna start out by just setting the characters. Here's the stars of the story. We've got Terah, who's grandpa. Then we've got Abram, his son, and Sarah, Sarai, his wife. And then we have Lot, uh, Terah's grandson, but Abram's nephew. So Abram's the main character, so let's say it this way. We have Abram and his wife. Abram's dad, Terah, and then his nephew Lot. And they're gonna set out for Ur of the Chalde- or from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Now we know that the Lord's called him to do this and we're actually gonna see the call in the next couple of verses and it's kind of like a reminder of the call because he would have never left had he not been called. And so, but first I want to kind of establish the characters and then the setting. Ur is a comfortable, affluent, uh, nice place to live. Kind of like San Diego or Fort Worth, Texas. (laughs) And uh, it's also a superstitious place. Uh, Ur is uh, along the Euphrates River, so it's green. A lot of times we picture these places as just harsh deserts. There are harsh deserts, lots of them there. But there's also places of green and beauty and places that are comfortable and you just want to stay there. It's like this, we have arrived. And it's interesting how sometimes the Lord calls us from those places that we feel we've arrived to some other place and we'll see him do that here. So it's affluent, it's comfortable, it's, it's superstitious. I say superstitious because history tells us that Ur, the patron god of Ur, is the moon god. And uh, Joshua chapter 24 verse two actually says about Terah, that he served other gods. And so it's pretty safe to say that Terah, Abram's grandpa, was serving other gods. There's also some apocryphal, extra-biblical writings that talk about these gods and some really neat stories about that, which is, so it's good to establish that, which means that when Abram follows God and Abram does all this stuff that we know Abraham is gonna do, He's not coming from this huge lineage of amazing godly people. Now what's interesting is if you read through the genealogies, we're about 292 years removed from the great flood. And so Noah was Abraham's great-great, great 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 grandpa And it's interesting that eight generations and by this time, they're not even following God anymore. I mean, the Bible's pretty pretty clear it says that Abraham like pleased God and he was like, like, like the righteous man on this earth and we know Noah was the same way. God set aside Noah and his family and so we go from this place of like of Noah and then within just eight generations and, and it had already been established before Terah got there so somewhere in between they walked away from the Lord and so if you, here's a little lanyard moment for you. If you're a first generation believer So was Abram. I know he had a great, 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 great grandpa, but he's first generation. He's coming out of darkness, coming out of lost, coming out of just following other gods, and now he is making a decision for Christ. If you're a first generation believer, just know that that's a good place to be. As God calls you, respond to it, and God has used people like you to do amazing things, including Abram, the father of this this upcoming nation. On the other hand, if you're like me and have got parents who have been faithful and loving and ethical and followed after God as best they can and have grandparents who have done that and got pastors in our lineage and missionaries in our lineage and then great, you know that at some point somebody made a decision to follow Christ and so if you dig deep three or four generations in my past, you go from really really interesting rotten folks, which we all are before Christ begins to redeem us and change us, to, this heritage, and so I'm reminded in Exodus 20, verse uh, five of this scripture, because so many times people come into my office and they're like really bothered by this concept of generational curses, and I just wanna just drop this thought into you as an encouragement, most likely. It says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, don't think petty jealousness here. We're talking about, like, you, if, if somebody comes and tries to take my kids or, or woo my wife away, you're gonna see the jealous Josh. And it's not out of pettiness and tr- trivialness, it's out of love and deep devotion and care. It says, I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. You believe in generational curses? I do. Now I do know too that in Galatians, and in Deuteronomy, and in Ezekiel, lots and lots of places, the Bible talks about how we're not gonna be punished for the sins of our fathers. We're not gonna be punished, our kids won't be punished for our sins. It's, uh, it's our decision. We make the decision to follow, to obey, to all the, so I know it is, uh, it's, it's our decision. We make our decisions, and we're held accountable for our own sin. It doesn't, we don't just get to inherit. I mean, we inherited sin in general, but, like, we get to make the call. And yet there's just Scripture talking about these generational curses, and I've seen them. You see it in alcoholism in abuse. I want to remind you today that if you are coming from a place where you're fighting off these generational curses, realize this. They are real. Things pass down. Having said that, it's kind of like my son Atticus is a Razorback fan. Because I'm a Razorback fan. Because my mom was a Razorback fan. I think my dad just kind of inherited it a long he got married, just kind of adopted it. And because my grandma is a Razorback fan and grandpa was Razorback. There's things that just pass down and there's a good chance Atticus, my son, will become a Razorback fan and he did. There's a good chance his kids, now can they choose another team if they want? Absolutely. They could choose poorly. It's in a, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's fine. There's lots of other teams out there, but there's a good chance. And that's the kind of passing down generation. But it's not inevitable. It's not set in stone. You still get to make your call. And the beauty of it is this, as strong as those generational curses are, listen to the last part of this. It says that the, the punishment, uh, the, the the, they'll punish the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a third, Thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. I want to remind you this: God's love, God's grace, God's reach is so much more potent than the enemy's uh, curse. And 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 does that make sense? So if you're sitting here fighting generational curse, you just keep fighting. But you just realize that the grace and the love and the reach of God is far more potent uh, than any curse, and you can receive that. That's a lanyard kind of moment. <laughs> So, Tara is serving other gods, the moon god, Abram is called by the Lord and he answers the Lord's call. What's interesting is when I was studying this week, I heard a pastor revealing a conversation he had with a missionary and this missionary, a modern day missionary said, I'm involved with a tribe that is worshiping the moon a real story. And he says, so, I, so he said, What did you do? I so said, I went to the, one of the tribal leaders and I said, Why do you worship the moon? And he said, Well, because at night it's dark and the moon provides us light and we need that light to survive and to make our way through. And that's why we worship the moon. So the missionary said, Okay. Well, then why don't you worship the sun? Oh, well, at the daytime it's already light. So we don't need the sun. So that's why we worship the moon. True story, right? Another lanyard moment. You follow Christ long enough and you're gonna be told that you're following him is irrational, illogical, unreasonable, ridiculous. You're following this thing, this invisible thing. And you're gonna be lumped into the pile of people who like these people are serving the moon instead of the God. Let me tell you this. Following Yahweh the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is not irrational, it's not illogical, it's not unreasonable, it's actually quite intelligent. If you spend a little bit of time digging and searching for the truth, you'll realize that he has revealed himself again and again and again through history. He has not contradicted himself, he is just amazing and if you'll just search, he'll open your eyes and it's amazing how reasonable and rational and uh, logical following Christ really is. So. That's just another landry moment. We gotta keep moving. All right. So we find ourselves with this, this, this. Uh, the Terah and Abram and Sarai and, uh, and Lot. They're going, they're leaving the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. So now we're at leg two. We've gone from Ur, and now we've found ourselves in Haran. And I want you to notice that it just says, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. They settled there, and they didn't leave until Terah, grandpa, or dad, died. When you're following Christ, God has, this is the call here, it says the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you. When you're following after Christ, he so often asks us to leave all that stuff that supports us and that props us up behind so that we can follow him because God is trying to separate us, he's trying to separate Abram from all that could possibly hinder and yet you see, as soon as they leave, he takes dad and nephew with him, Right? So all, already he says, leave your people, leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Well, he goes, he starts out for Canaan, but he takes some of those that he spoke. so you, you gotta imagine that's probably gonna cost him at some point because he doesn't follow the law of what the Lord asked exactly. Having said that, the Lord didn't abandon him either. So what happens is he gets there and they just settled. Like, what does that mean? I would like to know a little bit more, but he, they just settled. I have to imagine it's because Terah wanted to, wanted to stay because they didn't leave again until the father died. So they settled. There's lots of reasons, lots of things in life that can make us settle. Happens all the time. You start off, you have this grand vision that the Lord's told us to go. And in fact, when he tells you to go, in this case, he says, go to the land I will show you. Didn't even say go to 7313 strikes Court, he says, go to the land I will show you. It's like, so just basically be faithful, trust me, go, and I'll give you more direction later. And when he sets off, uh, this kind of reminds me of that scripture that says, Psalm 119, 105, it says, the Lord is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So often he just wants to see if you'll trust him. Just wants to see if you'll be faithful. Just wants to see you go. And he'll shine light on your path. I'd love to say he's a spotlight to the miles ahead, but a lot of times it's just right there at my feet, on my path. And so Abram goes. He brings some people along. That ends up making them settle. Settled there for a long time. Some people say they settled there because that was the last place they worshiped the moon god and Tara felt very comfortable there. Some people say that's the last place that was really green. And so it's, you're asking... You're asking Tara, this, this older man, to, to leave the house and the comfortable place and just keep on going, he just couldn't do it. Regardless what the reason was, regardless why they settled, they settled. And they stayed in Heron despite this greater call, they stayed there until finally his eyes awoke. Dad passes away and says, you know what, let's keep going. Before we move on to this part, I wanna just bring up in here, a, an interesting little side, side note is in verse three, it says, I will bless those who bless you, Whoever curses you I will curse, and we see that in human history, right? I mean, when the, when the United States blesses and protects Israel, there's a blessing in return. When the United States turns our back on Israel, makes a decision, there's typically judgment in return. It happens all throughout history. Nations all the time. Hitler in the 30s and 40s oppresses and kills and the Holocaust and all that. Where are they now? It's, it's, they've been destroyed. So this promise still hangs out there, which is one of the reasons why we take blessing Israel uh, serious, But then it says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is actually a sneak peek to the gospel. If you look over in, in Galatians 3, check this out. It says, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, that's the non-Jews, that God will justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. This is, the, he announced the gospel in advance right here in Genesis 12 to Abraham, All nations will be blessed through you, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Aren't you glad that in God's grand design, he's included the potential for all people to be blessed? He could have been super exclusive, but he wasn't. It's all people, and you see it first right here. And Abraham's life is really to set up the future so that we can find salvation in God. All right, let's keep keep on moving. Uh, we'll pick up right there in verse, almost verse six. It says, so they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. That's a really anticlimactic point in the story. And a thousand miles later, they arrived, just like that. I'd like to kind of know some more in there, but they don't give us any more. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. Just a couple of things here. They've left Ur. They get stuck in Haran for the longest time and just settle there. And then they finally get their act together and he takes off again with Lot. Now, is not with him anymore, but Lot still comes and Sarai, his wife, still comes. So again, he still hasn't left his people, so I wonder if that'll cost him in the future, and it does, but he's still trucking towards Canaan. So he leaves, and I think what's interesting in this por- portion of the, of the story is it says, when, he, when, they, when the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, to your offspring, I give you this land. It's, it, it's interesting to note that the Lord appears again for the first time once they finally show up in Canaan. Have you ever noticed that like God will ask us to do something and then once we've done it, then he'll ask us something else? Has anybody like me ever been asked to do something and then like pretend that didn't happen? And like avoid it and not do it and still expecting God to give like a plan B or another option so he can choose between and like him get really silent? It can be days, weeks, months, years, decades. What's the last thing he asked you to do? If you're waiting for him to give you something new, ask yourself first, have I done what he asked me to do last? Jonah chapter one, verse one, he come, God comes to Jonah and says, hey, go to Nineveh, preach. He runs. And for two chapters he runs. He finally gets vomited out of a great fish onto dry land, and God comes back to him and says, hey, go to Nineveh and preach. Same message. Would love to have gotten another option, but didn't. Same message, and then once he shows up in Nineveh, then the Lord continues to talk. Same thing happens here. It says, go. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. He shows up in the land, and then the Lord speaks again. And what's he say? He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. Interesting, he shows up in the promised land and we're all, I think we're all guilty of this. First of all, I think he was surprised that the Canaanites were there. I think he thought, this is Josh speaking, but I think he thought that when he showed up in this promised land that God has called him to to grow his family in this nation, that he would show up and it would just be all virgin territory, and no one would be there, and yet that's not the case. He shows up, and there's somebody already living in there. Don't they know that God called me to be here? When are they gonna leave? And they did, and then God says, to your offspring I give this, which is like a little hint. This may not be as quick as I thought it was gonna be. You mentioned it last week, Pastor, about how you show up and then, It's like not everybody else is clued into the fact that this is what God's called us to do. And there's some work to be done. There's some patience. There's some growing. It's all part of God's plan. We think he timed it wrong, but it's all part of God's plan. So he says, I promise you this to your offspring. And so he built an altar, and he builds a lot of altars. He builds his altars, and he threw up his tents. I've heard Pastor Des speak on it, other people speak on it, how Abram understood what was temporal and what was permanent, and, and I'm not going to go real deep into that, but he would constantly build altars and pitch tents, and I think it's a good reminder for us just to stop and say, what am I investing in? What am I, what am I putting all my effort and time in? Is it something of temporal value? Is it, something of, is it going to be here a millennium from now? Is it going to be here eternity from now, or is it just just gonna burn up, blow away, like the dust and the chaff of this world. There's a lot of temporal stuff that steals a lot of our time. And Abram built the altars so that other people could come and celebrate and acknowledge that, hey, God met with somebody here. But when it came to his living stuff, just pitched his tent because they're more portable, because the Lord is asking him to move, and it's just, he put his effort where, and he did that a lot, and I like that about him. You'll notice in the next chunk when he goes into Egypt, he doesn't build any altars. In fact, he sojourns or he lives in, with the Egyptians, probably in a house. Very different. Whenever he goes into Egypt, he just gets a little confused. does it a little differently. What got him there, uh, he kind of abandoned. So we'll, we'll keep on with the story. So, a lot happening there. So now we've gone from Ur. He's faithful, he stepped out. He didn't do it exactly right, but he was faithful. Stepped out, he trusted God, shows up in Haran, should have just been a water break, but it turned into probably 10 years, 20 years, I don't know how long it was. They settled. And then, said, you know what, this is not what God's called us to. We gotta get up, we gotta keep moving. So they kept on going, and then he shows up in the promised land. And then he realizes, "Ooh, this is gonna be a little bit of work here. There's people living here. Uh, God's promising me things but it's even to my offspring, which I don't even have yet. And so he's realizing, but he's in the promised land. That's a good place to be in the, in the promised land. So let's pick it, up, pick it up from here. Verse 10. Everybody still awake? I know I get into teaching and I kind of get boring. Is that bo- are you bored? You're <laughs> bored? Good. All right. If you were asleep, then you wouldn't have answered that. So if someone's sleeping you next, <clears throat> just give one of those in the name of Jesus. All right. Chapter 12, verse 10. And we're going down the home stretch here. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. I want you to notice, it didn't say there was a famine in the land and so he took it to the Lord and prayed about it. He didn't say, I'm gonna trust the Lord, I'm gonna have faith in the Lord here and let the Lord provide. Because don't you know, if he would have done that, the Lord would have provided. It would have been a different page in our Bibles today had he trusted like he had in the past. But in this case, it says there was a famine, so obviously... Obviously, we just pack up and go to Egypt because this is a severe famine. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. That's a good start. That's a really good start. He should have shut his mouth at that point. But he does a terrible thing. I know what a beautiful woman you are. And she goes, shucks. (laughs) And then he says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Hmm, that's a little deceiving. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. That's a really nice way of saying he, she became one of Pharaoh's many women, Part of, her, part of his harem. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, remember that, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you, why didn't you, why didn't you say, she, why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. There's a lot packed in here. Uh, let me just hit a couple of them. If you... If you read further in chapter 20, you'll notice Abram does this again with Abimelech. He says, hey, pretend you're my sister again. And Abimelech, just like Pharaoh, starts seeing these weird things happening in their house and like people were barren and curses and all that stuff and so they just like just like Jonah when the sailors are like this storm is way way weird there's something going on here that's not just tropical this is not just Mediterranean something's going on here someone must have offended a God who is it and they start casting lots just like Pharaoh's like whoa something's unexplainable here who is it and the Lord pushes them and says it's Jonah it's Abram, and then later on with Abimelech, it, he reveals it's Abram, and our sins do find us out, and our sins actually hurt those around us as well, and uh, and there's consequences for that, uh, so it's just it's good to remember that. So there's there's that going on. Um, I mentioned in uh, about the maidservants and all his cattle and donkeys and men servants and camels. He leaves here, and what's really interesting is he leaves wealthy, like he leaves richer than when he came. Oh. No harm done, right? Turned out okay, right? Wrong. If you're disobedient to the Lord, finances and stuff can be a blessing and sometimes they are absolutely from the Lord. You see someone who's given 10 talents, they're faithful with it, and then the Lord says, you know what, I'll give you 10 more talents. There's a a principle there. The Lord likes to bless people, but every blessing is not from the Lord. In this case, you see that it was out of his disobedience that he's blessed and it's gonna hurt him again. So we step out of this, of this portion here and you step into chapter 13 and you see the very first thing once they leave Egypt. And they didn't just leave on their own accord. He didn't say, you know what guys, I haven't been altogether truthful, I'm sorry. Here's what's really been happening. No, he got busted. He got busted and the immoral Pharaoh kicks out the moral man of God. That's pretty embarrassing. When you get kicked, you get deported from a country because you're not as moral as the immoral Pharaoh. This is a pretty bad thing. And so Abram leaves with all his stuff, probably his, his tail between his legs and he leaves and the first thing that happens to him is a consequence of his leaving rich leaving blessed from, uh, from, from Egypt. He went down in a, dis- in a disobedience and then when he leaves, what's the first thing that happened? Turmoil and strife within his extended family. He and Lot start fighting their, their um, well, their, their herdsmen start fighting because when they left Egypt, they brought Egypt with them. They took Egypt with them and now all of a sudden they step back into that promised land which the Lord had all set up for them, but they had so much resource now, so many cattle, so many camels that the land couldn't, provide for it so not only did he bring lot which he really wasn't supposed to now he goes into Egypt and gets even more stuff and shows up on the scene and the land just can't handle it everybody's thirsty everybody's hungry and so Abram being being magnanimous he says you pick a spot you go that way I'll go the other way you go that way I'll go this way you just pick it and we've got to separate but the first thing you just recognize it is his decision and him bringing stuff out of Egypt hurt his extended family It rocked his extended family world. The second thing, and you'll see this in chapter 16. In fact, I'll just read it to you. Listen to this. Talk about extended family. Now let's get into real personal. It almost ruined his marriage. It almost ruined his immediate family. Listen to this, 16 verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. That's a problem. Sarai's in her 90s. And by the way, this is the same Sarah that you're gonna see that her name changes in 17 verse 15, and the same Abram, his name changes to Abraham in 17, verse five. She's the same people. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant, Perhaps I can build a family through her. And you know the rest of the story. That's where Ishmael is born before Isaac. That's where you've got the Muslim Islamic faith spinning off this way and the the Judaism and and Christianity spinning off this way. This is a major thing. Wrecking, just about wrecking his family. Where do you think that maidservant came from? Do you think they picked up an Egyptian maidservant in Ur and she's been with him the whole time? Doubt it. What about in Haran? Several, several, several hundreds of years. No, I don't think so. What about in Canaan? Doubt it. They picked her up right there when it said that he was sent out of Egypt with men servants and maid servants and cattle and camel. Oh, he's blessed. Oh, it's great. All's well that ends well, except that it wasn't all well. He should have left Egypt in Egypt. There's plenty more to talk about, but I'm gonna stop there. So here's my last question for you. I told you it was geographical, logistical, it's just a a journey, just a logistical journey. Told you it's historical. You can read right over the journey and say, yeah, there's a couple things in there, but let me personalize it for you. I wanna ask you personally, where are you with the Lord? Where are you with the Lord today? And before you answer it i want to pray let's pray so lord holy spirit holy spirit the same spirit that was moving abram on his journey the same spirit that came and ministered to people after Christ's uh, death and resurrection the same holy spirit that has been promised that he would be with us promised that he's speaking the same things that god would speak in willingness to the father willingness to christ that same Spirit, I ask that you would speak to us in this moment and help us to determine and diagnose where we are with the Lord. Don't want to play games. I'm not going to hype them up. In fact, I'll give them lots of time to think about it. But where are we at with the Lord? Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, so that we could possibly leave here encouraged or intent upon movement? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Are you in Ur? Have you not even accepted Christ yet? Has the call of God not even come to you yet? If that's the case, you would be in Ur. And God is amazing. He peels back the blinders. He reveals himself. And he, he comes to people like Abram and like me and like you. And he just peels it back and he says, you know what? If you'll trust me, if you'll put your faith in me, I'll lead you to an amazing place. Eternity? Absolutely. Heaven? Absolutely. But even in this world, you're gonna like where I send you. It may be not easy. You may show up and it's already inhabited, but I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna help you, and you're gonna do great things. If you're in Ur, you just have not even met the Lord yet. I want you to recognize if that's you. And I want you to, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to invite the Lord into your life to be the Lord of your life. That's if you're in Ur. If you're in Haran, you have accepted the Lord. You love the Lord. You've had moments with the Lord. You've got history. But you're inherent. You have settled. You fill in the blanks how, but you've settled. I know there's been se- in seasons in my life where I know I was inherent. I know I had settled. Well, I'm doing this. I went this direction because of financial worries, or I was doing this because of a relationship, relationship problems, or whatever it is. You know you've settled and you're not pressing on to Canaan, the Lord's called you to follow him and you've settled. I'm not saying you're not saved, I'm saying you settled, you're in Haran. If you're in Haran today, wake up, recognize where you're at, you ain't in Canaan, keep moving. If you are in Canaan though, Canaan's a wonderful place, not as easy as you probably thought it would be, but it's a good place to be. I just want to encourage you, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if you are following him, you have settled, maybe you've never settled, but that's in the past, you are moving and you have arrived. It may not be everything that the Lord's called it to be, it's going to be, but there's a process. You know, David was called to be king and Saul was already king for a while, for a long while. And then he got chased and then he had to hide in caves and then he had some battles and but you're in the promised land. You're where you're supposed to be. If you're in Canaan, I just wanna say, well done. Keep it up, but be on the watch out because an Egypt is gonna look really enticing at some point in your near future. You're gonna hit a problem, you're gonna hit something tough and you're gonna be, instead of going to the Lord and say, Lord, provide. Lord, how do I get out of this? Lord, how are we gonna survive? You're gonna just look over there and say, oh, obviously common sense would say go down into Egypt and you might be in Egypt. You might have accepted Christ. You might have, not even settling right out. You were in Canaan, but you know what? You're not in Canaan anymore. You know you've gone to Egypt. You have headed down to Egypt and you are doing it and you're either gonna get busted or you're gonna come to your senses before you get busted and you're gonna leave Egypt. If that's where you're at, again, I'm not gonna give you every example of what that could be. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit would fill in the gaps. If you're in Egypt, get out of Egypt <laughs> and leave Egypt in Egypt. Whenever Amber and I uh, got real serious, like I know I'm gonna marry this woman, I threw away all my love notes. I threw away two love notes that I collected. (laughs) And she threw away mums and things like that from like high school boyfriends and stuff. It wasn't that they were evil people or something like that. It was just that, She's committing to me. I'm committed. We're going to leave that past in the past. Now, you don't throw away everything, but there are just certain, certain items. I'm going to leave because when I come back to the Lord, I want to come back to the Lord empty-handed so that he can then take me. Abram didn't do that. And Lot's problems and Hagar's problems were all because he came out of Egypt. Rich, <laughs> loaded, blessings. So I just want to encourage you guys: leave the stuff in Egypt, leave the trinkets in Egypt, uh, leave the relationships in Egypt, and the expectations, I Leave all that in Egypt and come back to God empty-handed. So there's your options. Four options. We're going to use his journey, kind of like a lanyard, to get to a bigger truth. Lanyard leads us to: you can never repay your mother. Abram's journey leads us to the idea of: where are you at with the Lord? Are you in Ur? Are you in Haran? Are you in Canaan? Are you in Egypt? You're in one of them. You gotta respond. So we're gonna end in prayer. I'm gonna turn it back over to Pastor Dan. I'm intentionally not doing a big altar call because I'm, I'm not a very hype, emotional guy anyway. But if you're in Egypt right now, you're gonna be in Egypt 15 minutes from now. And time's gonna pass, and if this is just an emotional decision for you, that emotional will pass too. But if your heart is set upon making things right, starting your journey with Christ, getting out of Ur and going towards something that's promised, leaving Heron and quit settling, I'm settled, I'm done with settling, I'm going on. Staying and trusting in Canaan or getting out of Egypt. If your heart and your mind and your emotions are set on that, it's gonna be set on that 15 minutes from now. So I'm gonna leave some time for it to, <laughs> for it to settle. So we're gonna pray. We got some business meeting kind of stuff to do, some voting and stuff, all, that's the best way. That's the way I like it, because I don't want you to make an emotional decision. But the Lord has called Abram, and I believe he's calling each of us. So where are you? Where do you wanna be? The Lord will get you there. So let's pray. So Lord, as we search our hearts, Holy Spirit, we're trusting that you would have spoken to us and are speaking to us. Where are we at, where are we at? Which one is it? This side of eternity, there is still hope to make choices. And so Lord, I just ask that today would be a day where people make a choice to step into greatness, to step in the right directions, to stay on purpose in the Canaan's, make choices. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts, and then just it's up to us to step out and make a move towards you. So I just ask that you would speak clearly, and I already know you'll be faithful. So I bless you, Lord. I bless this people. In Jesus' name, amen.